Kia ora, call Justin Gregory Aho. Welcome to the Coronavirus Podcast. Now, like a lot of you probably, I have friends and family in Australia. They're mostly in Melbourne, and we've been in contact a lot more than usual lately, and for the obvious reasons. Now, over the last week or two, I've been struggling to try and find the right things to say to them as they face up to a second lockdown. And they've also struggled too to articulate how they're feeling about it all. But we all might find it a bit easier to relate from now on because as of today, Thursday the 13th of August at about midday, as you know, community transmission has returned to New Zealand. Auckland is at level three lockdown and the rest of the country at level two. Now we'll know more about the size of the outbreak and where we're heading as a country by the end of Friday the 14th. But it seems like more disruption to our lives is pretty likely. And I don't mind saying I'm exhausted by the thought of it. One of my relatives yesterday used the word devastated to describe how he was feeling. And I think that's a fair summation. So I mean, how do we cope emotionally with the return of the COVID-19 virus to our lives? Dr. Sabja Hull is a clinical psychologist in Wellington. And if you're a regular RNZ listener, you'll know him from slots on 9 to noon, as well as from our mental health comedy podcast, Eating Fried Chicken in the Shower. Dr. Jahal, welcome. Thanks for being here. Sure, Justin. Tell me, I'm not imagining it, am I? This all feels so much harder the second time around. No, I don't think you are imagining it. I think I wrote uh, about a month ago is that New Zealand's biggest challenge at that time was probably going to be the absence of COVID-19 because there was this separation opening up from our experience and perhaps what the rest of the world was going through. And now we find very abruptly that our uh, gap has now closed up. We're now experiencing COVID-19 in the country again. And I think that, yeah, if you were paying attention to it, there probably was a little bit of lead up to this with officials saying that they really wanted to get testing levels up and also recommending that people added masks to their preparedness plans. But unless you were paying really close attention, then I think, like most people, this would have come as a shock. Um, though perhaps on reflection, maybe not so much of as a surprise if we look at how other countries that had cases down to low levels or zero levels have experienced a resurgence as well. So if anything, it's possibly a little bit of a surprise to me that we managed to go for as long as we did. Having said that, I totally understand why people are feeling devastated, disappointed, angry even sometimes. There's, there's a whole realm of emotions that people are going to be going through and often at the same time. I remember as we were heading into the first round of lockdown, experiencing fear and anxiety and nervousness also, but as obviously, but also a kind of a degree of excitement for want of a better word about it. There was some sense that we were all collectively about to go on a big adventure and if we did it right, then we'd be okay. That was definitely there that time. I'm not feeling that this time. No, I think so. I think there was a, a sense of newness about it. And I think you're right. There was that coming together of trying to act together to try to get on top of the virus spreads. And we did it. We learned that by acting together, we can eliminate the presence of the coronavirus in, in New Zealand. I guess where we may have missed a beat is that in thinking that this was the end of the story and that we had a high chance of staying completely clear of it until a vaccine emerged or we found a way to treat people once they would contracted it or to counter the worst effects and risks of really severe health consequences or death. In fact, it wasn't the end of the story. It was the closing of a chapter. And what we see from the behavior of the virus overseas is that even though we can put the best plans in place, the virus can find the smallest hole in our defenses and find a way through. We don't know how that's happened in this case, but it's possible that it's remained undetected for a while. And now we have detected it. We need to act fast to contain the spread and to get back on top of it again. So, yeah, I guess the original always feels like the more thrilling version. And now we're in the sequel. 
And I guess what we need to do is to understand what we've learned from our first experience and what we can apply to their second experience, but also what's new this time around that we also need to pay attention to. So what have we learned from the first time around? Well, I think that we learned that we can do it. I think we learned that we, as long as we make sure that um, you know, our basic needs are being met, that we have a reliable income, that we can get food, that we can actually get through this. And perhaps some people learned also that they didn't like the lives they were living much as, as, as much as they thought they did before they went into lockdown, as much as they perhaps wanted to change their lives once they got out of lockdown. And perhaps also organizations learned that people working at home can also get stuff done. We also learned that teaching your kids at home isn't easy and trying to do that and work at the same time is at times impossible. So I guess that there's a mixed bag. There are things that we learn around what we can do when we come together to collectively act for the good of the entirety of New Zealand. But we also know that actually the lived experience of going through a lockdown is a mixed bag. Some of it's going to go well. And for some people, they liked it. For others, they found it very, very difficult. We can see that in the escalating numbers, I think, that's being reported in people who are kind of interested in um, going through separation through their relationships. And I guess that that's a concern. People have to go back into lockdown, into circumstances which they're already finding pretty difficult. So were you already seeing the public behave a little differently? Well, yeah, I think so. I think, um, you know, a few things that I've seen is that um, the tiredness and fatigue that you've already mentioned, but also there's a sense of kind of quiet resignation, I think, as well. There's not the energy around, OK, so we're going to go and do this. There's kind of a more of a tone of, OK, we're going to go and do this, of trying to get back into a lockdown mode again. But I think also there's a little bit of kind of com not confusion, but there's a little bit of difficulty in remembering what it is. Uh, that we need to do at each alert level. And I think that actually we need to just go back and check and just to make sure that our behaviours are in alignment with what's required at alert levels three and two at the moment, making sure that we're not getting confused, making sure we're doing the things that we need to do and preparing ourselves for any news on uh, Friday to understand what it is that we might need to do, either do this behaviour for longer or thinking about perhaps different regions going into different levels of lockdown or perhaps there's some kind of different national response that's required. We just don't know right now. And I guess it's that unpredictability and uncertainty that adds to this sense of unease that we might be experiencing right now. I was saying to someone a couple of days ago that um, in the first year or so after the Christchurch earthquake, I was down there a lot uh, for uh, RNZ. And in those first few months, I detected a real energy amongst the people there. There was a sense of, we're all in this together, let's go ahead and, and do what needs to be done. And then as the year wore on, and as the winter came on, and as everything started to just slow down, a kind of grimness, a kind of fatigue set in. We may well see some national version of that, won't we? A sense that, well, we just have to fight it out from here on in, it's dig-in time. Yeah, I, I recognise what you say. I was down in Christchurch trying to assist with that over a, over a long period of time, a few years. And I guess that one of the things that it's been called is this kind of adrenaline fatigue, this idea of being in this alert, this threat alert um, state the whole time where we're kind of looking out for things that may harm us constantly paying attention to what it is that we're doing for acting like we have the virus. I don't know if you remember what it was like going to the supermarket during alert level four last time. Actually, you know, trying to make sure that you were staying away from people, the required distance, thinking about, well, do I pick up this item? What do I do with this item when I get home? How do I get this stuff into my bag? How do I get home? All of these things became 
decisions that we had to think quite carefully about at each at every stage, whereas normally we would just go and execute that thing that we needed to do. So there's the accumulation of trying to make small decisions about everything that we're doing in each part of our lives that then starts to mount up and add to that fatigue. So I think one of the things that we probably need to do is to become really good and really smart at about being intentional about how we spend time when we're at home such that we can calm that threat level system down and give our body and our physiology a bit of time in a calm state. And so that when we go outside again and have to expose ourselves or thinking about how it is that we're exposing other people, we've still got the resources and the attention that we can do that. And knowing that although we may be doing this for a short amount of time or perhaps a little bit longer, we're probably going to need to get a bit of a routine around this to pulse in and out of this until we do get to a point where the chapter of the story of the coronavirus in our lives starts heading, heading towards a bit more of an end game where we have the vaccine or possible treatments that are available. I think the reality is, is that this is the world that we're in right now and we need to prepare ourselves for a bit of a long haul. That sense of adrenaline, it's very energising, it's very useful at times, but as you say, we can't live there. But the idea of adjusting our routine, most of us have a routine to our days. Is it such a great, huge mental leap to just slightly adjust that to a different style? I guess it depends upon what your routine looks like. Um, for me, it's not a huge amount of a change. I work from home. We have the kids around most of the time. Uh, it's more about how I spend my time and where I spend my attention. And so for many people, that might be what they're doing too. It's trying to perhaps do many, many different things in one small environment as well. So how do you balance that when you're not able to escape and get out into different environments, which is your normal way of actually just getting change into your life? I think we also, there's another change that we probably need to get our heads around, and that's probably going to be um, mask wearing. And how do we deal with that and also the human behavior and relationship stuff that comes with wearing a mask. How can you tell what someone is saying or what they're expressing with their face when they're wearing a mask? Um, you know, people aren't going to be doing this on Zoom calls, but if you're having those face-to-face -face interactions at level two or level three when you're out and about, how do we do that? And how do children perceive adults in masks as well? That's something that we probably need to give some thought about in terms of how we talk to our children about this. I know talking to some teachers and some uh, kindy educators is that um, they noticed that children coming out of lockdown last time were a little bit um, apprehensive about strangers having been kept away from people outside of their bubbles for so long. And I know that for our smallest child, she had a real, she's, you know, uh, just turned one now, but you know, during that period of time when she started coming out into the community again, she would be absolutely freaked out by anybody who was not immediately known to her. She's really only just started calming down with that response now. So I'm starting to wonder what's that going to be like for her if we have to go into another extended lockdown again. And I think that perhaps that's not a solitary experience. I'm hearing that with a few people around how this is impacting upon small children. Is that sort of impact likely to be long lasting or just a temporary blip in someone's development? Yeah, it, it's probably just a temporary blip, but it's um, something that we may need to keep an eye on. You know, I think for uh, our youngest daughter, it kind of coincided with a bit of a possible stranger danger uh, developmental phase she was going through at the time, and then perhaps not coming across many strangers in that period of time meant that when she did, we had quite a big response, which also we were not used to seeing, right? Because suddenly she was just fine, and then suddenly we see this big response. So partly it might be a perception thing 
on our behalf as well, is that we're seeing this as like a really big response. Actually, if she'd been out in the community, we'd have been seeing this for a while and we would be quite used to it. But I think at the same time, we probably need to help our children just ramp back up when we come out of uh, this lockdown, back into interacting in the community again and support them a little bit through that. Supporting our children, supporting our partners and family. Who supports us? How do we look after ourselves? Yeah, that's a really good question, uh, Justin. I think that, you know, developing that intentional awareness around what's going on in our bodies, if we find ourselves just kind of with our minds whirring and racing all the time, thinking about, you know, what is it that we're going to do? What's the impact going to be? If we're running a business, worrying about that as well. I think that, you know, reaching out and getting that assistance where it's officially available uh, you know if that's financial assistance is something that we we need to do and so going to the the websites at wins and mb and places like that is something that we can do i think becoming a little bit more intentional around how we use news sites and how it is that we're checking media uh, and all the things that we do to make sure that we get a good night's sleep as well i think one of the things that we learned um, during lockdown for many people is that they found that their sleep was quite disturbed. Other people found that actually having the alert level system felt very reassuring for them. They kind of knew what they needed to do. They knew that there are people out there working on their behalf to help to keep them safe too. This time round, I think we probably may need to work quite hard on our personal well-being, probably a little, maybe a little bit harder than we did last time. Because I guess one of the things that we don't want to fall into the trap of thinking, yeah, we did this last time, we just do the same again, and it's going to work the same. This is a different situation. And I guess we just kind of need to be a little bit open-minded upon how that's going to affect us personally, but all the people around us too, and how all of that becomes a little bit of a feedback system. So really staying intentional about using that calming and relaxing and, and avoiding too much anxiety-provoking stuff if we're feeling fragile. We will know more tomorrow about whether New Zealand goes into a lockdown period at a higher level and for what period of time it might be, or whether it's all been contained and is a relatively small outbreak. That'll bring on other changes of emotion, eh? Not necessarily bad or necessarily good. Yeah, you're right. Um, it will bring change. And all kind of changes will bring adaptation. Um, I remember on Tuesday night, I saw the 9.15 uh, press conference being called and I thought, well, it's 9.15 on a weekday night. This is not going to be good news. So I was kind of um, preparing myself for what this might possibly mean. We know in advance now on Friday that we're going to get some news about what's happening in terms of trying to contain the virus, trying to track its source, and then what's next for New Zealand. So we can start to prepare ourselves for what might happen next. And so we are doing things in our family, like um, making masks um, out of material that we have lying around uh, and trying to follow patterns that we're finding on the Internet. Because I know that this is difficult for people as well to try and source one. So we're trying to make some for our neighbours as well and just checking in on who needs one, because we're lucky enough to have a, a sewing machine now in our house and my wife is skilled in doing that. And so um, we're in a, a reasonably privileged position here. I guess one of the things that we also need to do is to prepare ourselves to face the reality of the situation that we find ourselves in. Nobody wants to be in this situation, and we don't know why we're in this situation right now. So regardless of how it is that we've ended up here, this is the situation that we're in right now, rather than the world that we would like to be in, which is back in alert level one. So I guess trying to think about what it is that we need to do to reduce the risk for ourselves and other, ourselves and others becomes forefront in our minds. But also thinking about 
how do you prepare your family for what's going on next? What's going to come next? So having those conversations with your children, with your loved ones about what is it that we learned last time? What worked well for us? What can we reflect upon that we perhaps could have done better or we would like to do more of? Um, these, this is the time to have those conversations. So you can start making those plans, start scheduling those things in, should it become necessary once we hear what's next on Friday. Is there a wider discussion amongst the community of psychologists about what the possible long-term effects on the emotional health of the public will be of the coronavirus and the various lockdowns? And if so, what are you, what are you talking about? What are you predicting? <clears throat> uh, there, there are definitely conversations going on, and I think we're watching what's going on overseas quite carefully. Uh, and I think what we've seen and what we've experienced in previous kind of crises in New Zealand is that during the time of the crisis, there isn't a big increase. Um, there are different needs that are being expressed, and there are people who have ongoing needs that still need to be met. But what we know is that during crisis, it's actually people being able to connect with each other. And people were very imaginative about how they connected with each other, even though they were not physically able to connect with each other. This time round, I think that it's interesting because we weren't able to physically connect, and now we are able to physically connect, and now we're being asked to give that up again. And I don't know about you, but it felt, A, very strange being able to physically connect with people again. But then it felt really sweet being able to physically connect with people again. And so the absence, presence, and then we're being asked to give it up again, that actually might feel, feel quite hard for people. What we've seen in um, things going on overseas is that actually they're seeing an escalation of number of people as they get out of lockdown, as they continue in their journey of coronavirus in their communities. We're seeing an increase in need for mental health support, but that might be for many different reasons. It may not just be about the anxiety about catching the virus itself, but it might be the impact upon things like income, things upon having your children around the whole time, feeling inadequate as a parent, or for those children themselves, or those older teenagers missing their peer relationships or feeling off time in their schooling and what it is that they want to achieve. So there are many, many different factors that then start to play into how people are feeling about themselves, but also their life goals and their life plans in the future and how it is that they may have to change those and they start to change what it is that their futures might look like. I think as that sort of stuff, the developmental trajectory that people take into the future, as that starts to change, then that's when we start to see people need to adjust. Uh, and if that means really practical adjustments like, you know, getting enough money and all that stuff around paying the bills, that's where I think we start to see the really big tension. So it's really important that the support that people have for their practical demands and problems of living day-to-day -day life, if we can get those solutions in place, then I think that what psychologists and mental health experts are saying is that that goes a big way towards easing the pressure that people are experiencing and reducing the likelihood that they're going to get mental health difficulties as they progress forward. So we're, we're talking about the things that we've been talking about before with a slightly new twist on it. We need to get good routines. We need to look after each other. We need to look after ourselves. We need a sense of how can I put this discipline to get through the next stage. Yeah, I think you're right. And, um, and as well as that discipline, I guess we need to be flexible too, um, but not so flexible that um, we then start to kind of warp 
facts in order to fit in the, with the behavior that we want to do, right? So we may have a very strong belief that we don't think that the lockdown is necessary, say, for example. Now, if we're not careful, we can do something that's called motivated reasoning. And so we start looking at facts and then we use those facts to support the behavior that we want to do. Right. So we start saying, OK, so I'm going to pay attention to this person because they're saying what I need to justify what it is that I want to do. So then we start to question facts. Now, I'm all for healthy skepticism, but there's a careful line here that we need to walk and we need to really think about. Um, the science informed guidance that we're getting from trusted sources and comparing that with what other people are saying, because what we're doing here is that we don't want to warp facts to fit in with our behavior. We actually want to adjust our behavior according to what that best guidance is telling us to do. And that can feel really difficult if we really, really want to do something. So like, yeah, we've got a holiday booked. Maybe you're a person who's got something booked outside of Auckland in a week's time. Okay, you've been asked very strongly to stay at home and not leave Auckland in those circumstances. But if your belief was strong enough, you may seize onto little bits of information that justifies you leaving Auckland, like people perhaps trying to get to a holiday home. I'm symptom free. The places where I'm going to are symptom free. There's no risk here. But actually, you're being asked to do this for a reason. And we can't go into absolute detail as to why that might be. But this is really about risk reduction. So I guess that that's something that we really need to bear in mind is that sometimes stuff that we're being asked to do doesn't fit well with what we want to do. And so we really need to just look at that gap and ask if we're behaving in a way that actually comes to meet the whole entire country's needs, not just what we want to do in the moment. And that'll be tricky to do, but, you know, hopefully we all manage a, a little bit of exactly what you're talking about. Dr. Saab Jahal, clinical psychologist, thank you very much for your help today. And best of luck in whatever happens from here on in. Kia ora, Justin. Go well. Go well, everyone. So there you have it. That's all from us for this episode, and we'll be back with you tomorrow morning. But until then, kia kaha. This episode of the RNZ Coronavirus Podcast was presented by me, Justin Gregory. The executive producer is Tim Watkin, and our sound engineer is Adrian Holley. Mm-hmm.